Election College Episode 12, The Hartford Convention, Federalism Dies, and Monroe is Elected. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey everyone, I'm Jason Goff. And I am Ben Smith. Today we'll be talking about the death of federalism and the election of James Monroe. So Ben. Yes, sir. Federalism. Dead. Man, it's about time. We've been talking (laughs) about it dying for how many weeks now? At least a couple. At least a couple. Yeah, so... Remember, uh, let's go back a few years. John Adams was the last, well, and the first Federalist president. Right. Jefferson was a Democratic-Republican, and he won the election of 1800. And then the Louisiana Purchase comes along. Jefferson is hugely popular and gets reelected in 1804. And then James Madison becomes president in 1808. He's riding the coattails of T.J., The Federalists really can't get it together in 1812, so they kind of get behind the Democratic-Republican DeWitt Clinton, but that's up in the North, and in the South, Rufus King was their guy, and this really shows how there was really little or no unity in the party, and regionalism was more important than their party. So Them dang Yankees. I know. If you remember, the Federalists opposed the War of 1812, which we talked about in the last episode, episode 11. And Federalism is really more popular in the North, and opposition there is also the greatest. And so in 1814, and even a little bit into 1815, they have this convention called the Hartford Convention, and they're like, hey, you know what we hate? The War of 1812. Uh, I'm sure they called it the War of 1812 back then. Right, yeah. So the Federalists, they were opposed to the federal government's increasing power and the radicals who were mainly in New England. Uh, why are the radicals always from New England? Something in, in the water up there or something. Okay. So they're calling for secession for, from the Union, and they want to get all buddy-buddy with the British And there were some other discussions about the Three-Fifths Compromise, which we talked about in an earlier episode, and and then different grievances with the Louisiana Purchase, and man, they're angry. Yeah, just about anything the Democratic-Republicans did, guess who hates it? That's right, Federalists. So about the Hartford Convention, they really could have used a faster internet connection, Ben. I mean, can you imagine how bad the swag bags would have been at this convention? Well, I mean, I think the internet connection was probably fine, but you had to pay for Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah. Nobody really cool shows up. They were giving away paper bags as the swag bags and no cool giveaways. I heard the speakers were pretty lame and it just didn't go over really well. (laughs) So while they're there, disappointed over all the crappy stuff they got, they're there demanding financial assistance from Washington. Um, They want to get compensated for all the lost trade because of the different acts that have been put in place. And they even proposed constitutional amendments requiring two-thirds vote in Congress before an embargo could be imposed. And also they wanted to make sure new new states couldn't be admitted without a two-thirds vote and war couldn't be declared without a two-thirds vote. Pretty much all the stuff that has happened so far, they're like, please don't do that again unless we get two-thirds. Okay, so – 
the Massachusetts governor, he's a Federalist, his name's Caleb Strong, he sends word over to England saying, hey, let's be friends. Let's have some peace going on. You know what I would call that? Treason. Mm. It kind of is. I mean, <laughs> the, the government has declared war and you're like, hey, can we, can we stop England? Can we, can we stop warring now? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if he ever got in trouble for that, did he? I've never read anything about it. But I do know yeah. that there were three ambassadors from Massachusetts that were sent to Washington to negotiate. And they get there and they're like, hey, listen here, we're going to talk about the war. And somebody's like, oh, yeah, the war's over. And they're like, oh, <laughs> well, we did our job, I guess. We'll go tell them. And everybody's happy because the war's over. And, and Andrew Jackson won in New Orleans and everybody's happy about that. And it's just a good old time. You can imagine there. So these three ambassadors, they're going back to Massachusetts. They're looking at their belly buttons, the whole trip going, Crap. Crap. <laughs> because by the time they got there, everybody was like, oh, so what are you doing down here from up in uh, Massachusetts? And they're like, we're coming to oppose the United States' stance on this war. And they're like, oh, we won, kind of. And they're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, we're against that. <laughs> so it's pretty. it's a pretty bad day to be a Federalist. What about, what about President Madison? What's going on with him? Well, the War of 1812 ended in 1815, like we just mentioned, and there's lots of peace in Europe because there's no more Napoleonic Wars, no more fighting wars with the Americans, at least right now. There's peace in America, and there's this era comes into play called the Era of Good Feelings, and we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit more in episode 13. But the Federalists are embarrassed. The Democratic Republicans are more or less an act of on the political scene because everybody's getting along. And Madison's just like, all right, well, we need a new national bank and we need a new tariff on manufacturing. So because of all these good things happening under Madison, it really does seem like, huh, we're going into an era where, yeah, it's going to be a pretty seamless transition over to James Monroe, right? So seamless that the Federalist Caucus, the good old boys, did not even bother to make a formal nomination. And there were a lot of Federalists who did support Rufus King, the New York senator. Why don't, why don't, we've not talked about him a whole lot. We've mentioned him a lot, but why don't we talk about Rufus King a little bit? Yeah, I feel a little bad because it seems like he was a really nice guy. And in one of the previous episodes, we made fun of his name. <laughs> well, uh, name aside, he was one of the youngest members of the Confederation Congress. I always want to say the wrong names when I talk about I him. do, too. Uh, he was... That was in the 1780s, so it's now, what, 1815, 1816? So he's uh, been on the scene for a little while representing Massachusetts. Yeah, and he's really influential at the time of the convention and getting Massachusetts to ratify the Constitution. Uh, He leaves his law practice in Massachusetts in 1788 and goes to New York where he enters politics. He becomes a U.S. senator in 1789, And in 1796, uh, President Washington liked him so much, and he was such a good statesman that uh, he was actually appointed as the U.S. minister to Great Britain. I mean, that's a pretty high step up there, right? Yeah, I'd say so. And even with the change of philosophies from the Washington-Adams era on into the Jefferson era, or should I say Jeffersonian? Mm, Yeah, yeah. Maybe. The Jeffersonian era. Hey, 
TJ keeps him around, uh, despite the fact that King is a Federalist. So in 1803, King gives up his position as the minister to Great Britain and runs for president, and he loses Mm. in 1804. And then he goes back to the Senate in 1813, and that's pretty much the the state of affairs with Rufus King as he approaches this election. I will say one thing about King that is admirable is he was as much of an anti-slavery politician at that time than just about anyone else. Hey, so he lost the election in 1804, right? He gave up his position as a minister to Great Britain, and he, he loses in 1804. Yeah. And then he doesn't go back to the Senate until 1813. What do you think he did for those nine years? That is a very good question. I don't know the answer. I just wanted to pose the question. If you know the answer, feel free to send us a tweet or a Facebook message or something. Let us know. We could probably look it up, but we won't. Yeah, because we'll be on to the next election. Right, so. right, right. Really. So the Democratic-Republicans are still around. They're like, hey— there's this guy named James Monroe. We like him. Let's uh, let's talk about him. Yeah. So Monroe, like everyone before him, was from Virginia. <laughs> he was a plantation owner with slaves. But what he did do is he helped negotiate the Louisiana Purchase for Jefferson. Right. He served as Virginia for governor. And in his second term, um, although his terms were not consecutive, believe it or not, he actually was like four months into it and... Madison calls him up to be a secretary of state. So he says, all right, see ya. Somebody else be governor now. And even though the War of 1812 is going on, Monroe doesn't really have that much to do with the war because Madison and Congress were really – they were in control. They were actually dominating the decisions for the war. Until the war goes bad and the British burn the Capitol and the White House – And Madison actually removes Armstrong as the Secretary of War and then uh, is like asking James Monroe for some help. And he does such a good job at giving him help that he appoints him Secretary of War. So goes from having nothing to do with it to being basically in charge of it. Yeah. So Monroe resigns his position as Secretary of State and no one replaces him. (laughs) So effectively, he is the Secretary of State. And the Secretary of War, at the same time, he is the man. Ruler Supreme is what he later becomes known as when he takes over the White. No, never mind. I made that up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is a sentiment that it is time to end the Virginia dynasty of presidents, like Jason mentioned a minute ago. And this is happening, especially in New York. New York does just not like Virginia and the presidents who come out of it. So Monroe gets the Democratic-Republican nomination. So the collapse of the Federalists left Monroe with no organized opposition at the end of his first term, and he ran for re-election effectively unopposed. He was the only president other than Washington to do so. Only a single elector from New Hampshire uh, cast a vote for John Quincy Adams, preventing a unanimous vote in the Electoral College. Bummer. So yeah, I mean he did he did run opposed, but effectively it was kind of a joke. Right. There's a guy who raises a controversy, Ben. There's always one of those guys. You know what I'm talking one about? One of those guys. I bet his name was John or something. Yeah. So Indiana, okay? Mm-hmm. On 
February the 12th of 1817, the House and the Senate, they gather around and count the electoral votes. And everything is going okay. Then at the last moment, the last state to have their count their votes counted is Indiana. Representative, I called it, well, I guess I kind of knew already, John Taylor from New York says, hey, you can't count them. They weren't a state when the votes were cast. And so he argues that Congress, or there's different arguments, but arguments that Congress acknowledged the statehood of Indiana on December 11th, but the Electoral College had been cast on December 4th, so Indiana wasn't really a state yet. Yeah, so other representatives were like, hey, John Taylor from New York, you're a punk. Indiana had already become a state before that because they joined the Union by forming a state constitution and government back in June 29th of 1816. It was just that Congress recognized that they had done so in December. So all in all, Indiana's votes ended up counting. By the way, this situation is very, very similar to a future situation we'll discuss. Yeah, so Monroe wins all but three of the 19 states, and Daniel D. Tompkins is the vice president, and the era of good feelings kicks into high gear, and that's... 1816. The whole year in a nutshell. Woohoo! Hey, Jason, um, you do all the social media and everything for Election College, right? I do a lot of it, Ben, when you're not vacationing in uh, your plantation in Virginia. <laughs> well, I mean, as uh, you're, you've been involved with social media for a long time, so you have a lot to say about it. Um, I wanted to let you talk about the Social Media Success Summit. Yeah, so like Ben said, I have been full-time in social media for a little over six years, and from the get-go, I have been following Mike Stelzner and the Social Media Examiner, and they put on these awesome, awesome webinars in October, and this October, the Social Media Success Summit for 2015 begins, and they have awesome program and you need to be a part of it. So let's hear from them. Want to improve your social media marketing? Need to prove your efforts are working? Take your business to the next level at Social Media Success Summit 2015, an online conference. Brought to you by Social Media Examiner. Discover the best and newest ways to market your business on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, Instagram, and Pinterest. Find new ways to improve your content and measure your results all from the comfort of your office chair. You'll be led by dozens of top social media pros, including Mari Smith, Mark Schaefer, Amy Porterfield, Christopher Penn, and Michael Stelzner. Register now for Social Media Success Summit. Discount tickets are limited. Visit smss15.com to secure your ticket today. All right, that is Social Media Success Summit, and you can sign up at electioncollege.com slash summit, S-U-M-M-I-T. So, Ben, yes. you know what I really love? Uh, ice cream. You got it. I love ice cream and reviews on iTunes. Nice. I love reviews on iTunes, too. It makes me feel warm and cozy inside. Yeah, and this one from Bob Lash really made me feel 
awesome today. He said that this podcast, referring to Election College, is awesome. History is so important, and this podcast is an entertaining and informative good time. It's the perfect balance of information and depth of topic. Thanks, Bob. We really appreciate it. If you would like to leave us an iTunes review, you should. You should like to do that. You can do that at electioncollege.com slash review. Hey, and don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Election College. Like us on Facebook at Election College and follow us on Instagram at Election College. We would really appreciate it. And we'd love to interact with people. We try and respond to every single person. So say, hey, we'd like to hear from you. That's it for this episode. I'm Jason. And I am Ben. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.